Sonia. Sarah. You know that season four that we ended and then we didn't end and we came back as a surprise and then we ended it again? Feels like a long time ago, but yes, I do. Uh, Should we give them a few more extra bits? I think we should. I think they deserve extra bits. I think they do. Just a little extra helping. A bit on the side. Nice. Okay. (laughs) Good. So, yeah. Let's give them a few bits on the side. Enjoy your bit on the side. (laughs) Cheers. I think the pandemic has really driven home this notion that we as human beings need a sense of purpose. And Mm. that has scared us. It's brought us in touch with our mortality and so on. So there's there's been a lot of people who've made changes. Um, Partly the pandemic and partly the, um, what are they? I think they're Generation Z. Um, But (laughs) I can't keep up with all the generations. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) Millennials, Generation Z and so on are all very purpose-driven as well. So we are at a time where I think it's in the UK alone, we have a million jobs unfilled. Mm. Of course, the other thing that we don't mention, that B word, we won't talk about, so that hasn't helped with that no. either. <laughs> yeah, let's not yeah. go there. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got, you know, so people want jobs that matter and the jobs are sitting there and they're going, you don't matter to me, I don't want that one. Mm. Mm. And will that be also a force for change, do you think, as well, in terms of um, companies having to be in competition for a workforce, having to be the ones that people want to go and work for? (laughs) So there are some businesses that are absolutely going down that route. And even you can see how they're getting kind of cleverer with their recruiting. We've got the likes of L'Oreal that's working with, oh, I think it was Schlumberger that, you know, for, to get that diversity within their uh, business, they're both kind of also starting to talk about sustainability and impact and purpose. And you kind of go, okay, this is cosmetic versus oil. How far are we going? But, uh, you know, they're saying the right things. Um, and, of course, you've got also the likes of Unilever with all their uh, sus- kind of sustainable living plans. So some businesses are saying the right things, trying to attract people for the right reasons. There are others that have gone down the pure brute force of bribery. They're paying people to apply. Yeah, sometimes it works. Children are easy to bribe. It will work in the short term. But once people are on uh, on the job and they're not happy and they're not fulfilled, they will leave. Again, millenniums, Z generations and the next ones are not that motivated by money. So they might be in the short term if you've got a student loan or rent to pay and so on. So I'll take the job. But if I'm not satisfied, then I leave. There's also a startling amount of us who are like, I'm just going to become a stripper. I hear it once a week. <laughs> so, I you know, teach and I've not heard that. <laughs> oh, my lecturer has <laughs> once a week, one of us. Uh, do you think it'd be really hard? <laughs> it's holding me back. I don't like the hours they have to work. I like to be in bed early. <laughs> Frankly, it's too active for me, but let's not go there. <laughs> I, it just seems too cold. Far too cold. Cold and late. Yes. It's not very comfortable. We're not I'll going stick to retail. Phew. None of us would be doing that. 
I think the world just sighed in relief. Yes, <laughs> it did. It did. I was going to tell you some interesting facts, some did you know yes, about Mills and Boons. Yes, it's, it's I love a did you know. Yes, I thought you might like this. So did you know, when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, Mills and Boone gave 750,000 copies of Penny Jordan's A Reason for, Be- for Being, it was called, to the housewives of East Germany to <laughs> cheer them up. <laughs> so, so that was their That's presence brilliant. to East Germany when it opened. So that, I, I love that fact. Oh, how fabulous. And was it a story that they would be able, they would relate to as well? well was it? I mean, it was in German translation, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, you probably also didn't know. So the M6 toll road is actually built on mills and booms. So they pulped uh, two and a half million mills and booms. And a tarmac, the company tarmac, used them, combined them with the tarmac and the uh, you know the building materials, the aggregate. And what they do is they absorb the sound, so it makes it a much quieter road to drive on. <laughs> so there's forty five thousand mills and beans every mile on the M6 toll road. So bloody hell! I have to drive on the M6 now just to be there, going, you know what we're driving over? We're driving on mills and beans. Road to romance, the literal road to romance. Oh so, yeah. I love it. Okay, so somebody needs to write people who meet on a rare replacement bus, that's what you did, going along an M6. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Nice. I'm going to write that one. I love the way you're getting all these story ideas. I think one of the, we did this study a few years ago, which was led by a a former student of mine, and we were really interested in, um, so I mentioned sauropod dinosaurs, which are these, Mm. uh, they're massive, plant-eating, four-legged, long, really long necks, tiny heads, basically, tiny heads and useless teeth, essentially, (laughs) but they're absolutely massive, and so therefore we know that they must have had to eat and eat and eat and eat you know, to be able to actually generate enough energy to fuel their bodies. But at the same time, um, they we were interested really in these um, fossils, which were about 150 million years ago from North America. And they're found in an area called the Morrison Formation, which is really, really rich in dinosaurs. And uh, you get loads of these plant-eating dinosaurs, you get loads of meat-eating dinosaurs, but you get loads of different species of these plant-eating dinosaurs all existing together. And but this area, it wasn't particularly kind of lush and rich mm. and green the whole year round and stuff. And so obviously some of them had different lengths necks and they were feeding at different heights in the, the tree canopy and stuff like that. But they were, we were really interested in like, how on earth were they all managing to coexist together when they're mm. all massive? They've got long necks, tiny heads, useless teeth. Yeah. So <laughs> one of my um, one of my students was really interested in this and he did a study where he basically looked at all the different like functional, what we call them functional traits. So he measured things like the length of the jaw, the depth of the jaw, the size of the teeth, the curvature of the teeth and all this stuff and and um, put them through an, an analysis which draws out the main kind of variation that we see in the, in the, in the group of animals. And so animals which sort of sit together in these, produce these plots and animals which sit together share similar kinds of, mm. shall we say, similar kinds of functions. Mm. And he did this for loads of sort of dinosaurs. And he found that actually the ones that were living all together in this Morrison formation were actually sitting in different parts of this space. So what they were all doing was functioning in quite different ways. Mm. And we figured that this was probably a way in which there was at least some way in which they was helping them all live in this, this kind of same environment. And again, a bit like the mammals, they were all partitioning out their different niches and things like that. Mm. And so that was by, you know, measuring the, uh, all these different, what the, 
quirks and things about the skulls themselves, how long they were, how deep they were, you know, yeah. what shape the teeth were and all this kind of stuff. Because you know, for a long time, people have been like, well, we're finding all of these fossils, but how the heck did they all actually live in the in same place? Space, you know? yeah. Surely these things were decimating the environment, yeah. you know, moving through in herds and just eating everything. Um, and so they, so our study at least shed some light on the fact that actually they probably were partitioning out their resources quite effectively. Yeah. And that might have made them all, you know, it was an explanation for why we find so many different species in the same place. So those um, uh, stock cubes that I like <laughs> to, to buy um, have just come out with a new squeezy tube. And you're there going, for fuck's sake, mm. in our want to reduce plastic, you had stock cubes in a little foil packaging that was in a cardboard box. You know, this is all good. Why do I need a new easy squeezy tube that can go in my fridge? Yep. It might be to do with cost because sometimes it is cheaper to produce things in plastic, which is why it's been so popular all this time especially transport costs, you know, there will be a business rationale behind it. Oh, yeah. I think it's probably an, another market that they could tap into a convenience and new load of people. Yeah. Something else to sell. Was that just your little rant on stock? It, it was a, it was a mm. rant. That was a, it was just you having a moment to rant, which is okay. That's fine. We probably won't keep it in the final edit. Are you sure? Yeah, probably not. Oh, okay. Because it's not about you, te- Sarah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's about plastic. It's about plastic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so you've got the idea that, you know, you can get, like, kind of bouncing back and forth in these kind of, like, streams of water. Um what what they realized was that that was pretty much only useful as like pretty decoration um but obviously there are things other than water there's glass and they started to realize that you could do the same thing with like rods of glass so if you had a big, like a big thick rod you could kind of direct light down it by kind of launching it in and and it kind of bounced around and it came out the other end and then you could kind of very slightly curve them and then that could be useful because they used it in like dental exams to kind of light people's mouths. Oh, well, Um, I was down the neon route. You were going to make neon. Because you were talking about tubes and and bending them and I'm now on an art installation, but we're not that far. No, no. I'd like, like, I mean, the sad thing about that is if you've done that, you've made a terrible fibre optic because if you've got like like a tube... And if it glows, that means all of your light is coming out the sides uh, of the tube and not failed. coming out the end of the tube. You failed. kind of generally want your light to go from A to B and not come out. Not losing sort of it along half. the way. No, no. So um, not to say that lots of artists haven't done that. But um, yeah, that was that was their idea. Their idea was to try and get it between places and not lose too much in the middle. But they were like, they were, this was like early glass. They were pretty terrible at making glass. Um, so a lot of it did actually come out and it probably did look very pretty and glowy from the sides. A big thing with vaccine, with any fact, with trials is this idea of blinding. So you give people either a placebo or a test, va- uh, a safe current vaccine, and then you give them the test vaccine. With the COVID ones, we did kind of a, a blinded study where no one knew, even the people giving mm-hmm. it. There's like one person who does know. But actually with a lot of our previous clinical trials... That's the kind they do on Grey's Anatomy for tension and then they mess with it. And it's and because like, oh. depending on what you're testing, you know, there's been all the... Um, the benefit of the placebo. So especially with things like pain, that taking a placebo is sometimes as good as taking the relief. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it was important with COVID because there was active cases around that it, if you gave someone told someone they'd had the vaccine, it could affect their behaviour. They might be do more risky stuff, or if they knew that they were the control group, <laughs> they might need to wear a mask. Is that <laughs> <laughs> exactly, very much so? Very much so. Um, rather than if you something like malaria, you know, there's not there's no malaria around, so you're like, oh, I've had a malaria vaccine. I'm protected against malaria. Um, yeah, I'm not going to catch it. Kind Hello, of going to muzzies. going to the parks in Oxford. Um, <laughs> When we do the challenge trial, the way that we get the mosquitoes to bite people is literally you get a coffee cup, you put a bit of gauze on it, and then the person has to just hold that coffee cup on their arm for like half an hour until all five mosquitoes that are in there have bitten you. That's how you give people malaria in a lab. <laughs> oh, it's like something on I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. No, they have to know? eat stuff. I couldn't eat stuff. I This is eye-opening for me because I'm like, yeah, I could absolutely let a mosquito bite me, but I'm not about to go and eat cow bollocks. <laughs> Well, you've got to know so, your levels. If you don't like eating stuff, you wouldn't want to do the typhoid challenge. So for a typhoid challenge, you literally um, drink uh, bicarbonate soda to basically um, uh, neutralise the stomach acid in your stomach. And then you literally get a tube of bacteria and have to down it. And that's yeah, how you no, affect yourself. Not for me. Not for me. I don't even like doing shots. Not for me. I don't, th- I don't like the way, way you say it's a typhoid challenge as well because it makes me think it's going to go viral <laughs> and you're going to have all these teenagers in the kitchen. Shotting typhoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the most pleasant. That one, that one no. compensates the most. I mean, you have to like collect your shit for like weeks afterwards as well to make sure you're not shedding typhoid. Oh. Not the most fun. No, 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 I don't I'm want to do that, one. For that no. one. I'll do the lower end. You have to test them as well, you know, because on those trials, you can trial all sorts. So like trialing kids toothpaste is mm-hmm. not too bad because basically you're just having to taste banana sugary. I rubbish. hate the taste of banana. Don't want that. Um, but there's all sorts of different ones. So you can, you know, you can, I can pick. test your. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I've done, I've done one vaccines. trial myself. So. And did you have fun? Uh, I did. So I did. I actually did. So when we had the the last pandemic before this one, when we had the Ebola Ebola outbreak in 2014-15, I volunteered to test our Ebola vaccine. Uh, so it wasn't technically ours. It was an external company's, which is why I was kind of allowed to do. But we kind of monitored the trial. And at the time, I was working on a kind of separate area. So I wouldn't actually w- involved in processing my own blood, which is something you can't really do. Um, but yeah, so I took part in that. I've actually had three to date, three Ebola vaccines. So fingers crossed, I'm immune to Ebola. Um, which is quite a useful thing to be immune against. Yeah, that's nice. I was reading an article actually today um, that said that girls in school as young as six associate brilliance as a male um, characteristic. (laughs) No, it made me cry a little bit as well. Um, And there's the whole thing about science being a boy's subject. And you know, girls being no! of science. I know, but I, I every time I read about it, I'm there going, and every time I do a lateral flow, I'm like, I'm a woman in STEM. Look at me go! Yeah. I'm like mixing my stuff up, yeah, and it's the closest I get to it. But for I'm me, I'm like experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so sad, and I think that that it is changing. It is, mm. um, but I think it needs to change. I would say this um, more quickly at every level as well. Mm-hmm. There's been loads of great initiatives around um, getting more girls into science, especially mm-hmm. at, at school. Um, but we still see more at the senior levels of, of science a real gap in mm-hmm. terms um, of women being represented at more senior levels in science, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. such a shame. And it's 
you know, we miss all that diversity and all those incredible things um, that are brought to the table. And then we might have more research on things like pregnancy brain and menopause brain because yes. there's this awful thing where people don't always care to research the thing unless they've experienced it. And then they're like, oh, maybe I'll research this. That'd be really interesting. But anyway, just just a little brain fart for you there. Yeah, just half the population. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 you know, just like a massive... Just a few. Yeah, yeah. Just a few. Anyway, I'll sit my chin in silence and say nothing. <laughs> And as you were saying, not just within the sciences and within the research, but also the the diversity within the people that you're working with, the people that you're researching on, the brains that you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of clinical trials um, and the, the demographic data of participants, that typically is very white as well. Even the way that we, you know, analyse um the brain as well. So I was talking to a PhD student who's doing an incredible project on um, ECG. So, you know, those pads that you yeah. put on the head um, with kind of sticky gel and how particularly for people with Afro hair, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. The connections don't, yeah. don't work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so things like that as well. And I think neuroscience, well, you know, did develop as a, a in a white male world, didn't it? So I think mm-hmm. there's so much that we can do to improve mm. that diversity because ultimately that is going to benefit everybody you know mm. there's no argument against that it does it benefits yeah. everybody so I think we need to um yeah be more diverse in, in all that we do you know the people doing the research the people contributing to the research participating in it because ultimately it is going to benefit everyone and you have been actually through the discussion making making others very resilient I've been actually listening to some of the um, discussions that you had, wonderful topics and, you know, wonderful discussion. And it's like, I was thinking, well, you know, that kind of discussion actually can help. But the more you listen, what I was saying, like videos, YouTube, yes, they have got some impact. But, you know, when you're actually listening um, a podcast, that has got much deeper impact uh, because you, you are only using one of your senses to fully concentrate and listen to something, which is very powerful. And I believe that your, your this community of genome topic, it's, it's excellent. It's, it's a very good sort of, um, you know, I, I would say that possibly you started it as an experiment as well. Uh, but now you know that it's, yeah, it's going really well. Well, if we've made you feel more resilient, send us an email. <laughs> yeah. We'd like to know. <laughs> Twice we've got to judge a gin competition, so it's very, very fun. I know. It's been so much fun. Um, but judging gin competitions is pretty hectic, isn't it, really? So it's been nice to just sit yeah. and have a relaxed gin rather than, <laughs> let's move on to sample number 47. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll do our own talk about that because that's the craziest experience I've ever had. They literally send yeah. you a little thing of 200 tiny bottles and you go, okay, we're going to do 70 of them today. It's like... Okay, well, let me clear up my schedule. <laughs> That's episode two. Right, We're going to all come back and do it together and see no, no. just how much chaos happens. <laughs> no, I don't think I could get through that many. I could. You could. I could. You could. Yeah. But yeah. definitely, definitely, we need to know more. By the end, your palate is definitely a little bit like, what is going on? Yeah. What is Eating this? Eating crackers and drinking water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like being a boxer. You're like, okay, rub me down. Okay, we go. Going back in. <laughs> it really is. 
little episode. You got to the end, so hopefully you did. <laughs> That's very true. <Yeah. laughs> well done. If you'd like more content from us, then you can follow us on Instagram. You can. And you'll also find our chief gin taster, the gin monkey, with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series. Go on to Instagram, so it's worth following. Yeah, yeah. Topic gin. Topic gin. Same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. Send us a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com. If you click subscribe as well, that would be really handy. Reviews, host tell of people. Stuff for you to do. And we'll be back next week with another episode. I know. And another guest. I and know. another gin. Yay. <laughs>